Super Talk Mississippi media production. Hi, this is Dr. Andy Barlow with the Chiropractic Physician Center of Tupelo and author of the number one bestseller, The Code Breaker. Are you sick and tired of the medical merry-go-round? Are you looking for a potential solution to your health problem? Be sure and listen to our podcast, The Code Breaker. Welcome in on a Saturday, the uh, take two of what was supposed to be Friday's podcast because my computer crashed. And as a result, I could not recover the file. I tried. I looked at YouTube videos and stuff to try to recover the entire podcast that I recorded yesterday that was supposed to be published for Friday's show. I was basically done with it. Had to get up for a second. I'm a little gimpy, and so I stumbled a little and hit, like, put my hand down on the edge of my computer, and for whatever reason, that just crashed the entire thing. Like, I didn't hit it, I didn't smash it, didn't touch a button. Just part of my hand hit the bottom right corner of this very old, very just terrible Dell laptop, and it crashed the entire computer. Once I got it back up and running... The file was gone, could not be recovered, no matter how many different YouTube videos I looked at trying to attempt. So here's part two of Friday's Rebel Report. I'm Michael Borky. Thank you for making the podcast a part of your weekend uh, now at this point. And it is good to be with you. So a couple of things for you. It's a little late, but we're going to get to it. The uh, the 10-game SEC schedule announcement reaction. Now we're going to get the schedule probably sometime this week. That would be my guess is we are getting the full schedule when and where and who, at least two more who's, this week. I'm going to react to it today, though, what it means, my thoughts on it, uh, and stuff like that. And also, there's a story that came out in the Washington Post today. And the important part, I think, to me, especially for you, is uh, Momo Sinogo's quotes uh, in this story. The Washington Post obtained an audio recording of... Representatives of the SEC and their conversation uh, with players about safety protocols and stuff like that. And Sunogo had a, a handful of really good questions. His section of this is uh, is worth your time. And so I'm going to bring that to you, tell you what he said, give my reaction to it, as well as the 10-game schedule upcoming. But first, I do want to remind you that the podcast is brought to you every single day by LB's just across from Kroger on University Avenue. If you're listening on Saturday, it's not too late to stop by and get something for the grill. You've also got a ton of sports going on right now. NBA basketball is back. Major League Baseball is hanging by a thread, but they're playing games nonetheless. You've got PGA Tour, uh, pretty good leaderboard up there in Memphis going on this weekend as well. So a full uh, slate of sports. Go by LB's. Tell Greg we sent you just across from Kroger, University Avenue there in Oxford, the best place in Mississippi to buy your meat. It's a perfect weekend to do it. Uh, The weather, even though I'm really not spending much time outside at the moment, uh, is spectacular where I sit right now. I I mean, mid-80s today. It's going to be upper 80s on Sunday. So perfect weather for grilling. Uh, Go buy LB's. Go see Greg. And uh, take advantage of the really awesome early August uh, weather here in Mississippi. All right, so this Washington Post story uh, caused a, a bit of a stir uh, this morning. And, and basically, here's what happened. So, Washington Post published this story. They, they obtained an audio recording uh, of a conversation that happened Wednesday. It was a meeting 
a private meeting with conference leaders and medical advisors, including several football players, and they raised concerns about their safety, only to be told that positive cases on their teams were a given. And that was, again, an audio recording that was given to the Washington Post. The meeting, according to the story which took place on Wednesday, included more than a dozen SEC football players, members of the conference's medical advisory board, and SEC officials, including Greg Sankey, who issued a statement today, was not real happy about this audio recording getting out. It was designed as a, quote, confidential free exchange, end quote, Uh, An SEC spokesman said in an email where the league's medical advisors could hear questions and our student-athletes were able to hear answers. I'm going to skip all the other stuff and just bring you what Sunogo said. Because this is, of course, it's locally relevant, and I think he raises some pretty good points, and the responses were not that great. So here's what he said. This is the excerpt about Sunogo. According to the story, Momo Sonogo, a linebacker at the University of Mississippi, asked the officials on the call why his school planned to bring back thousands of students to campus for fall classes. Sonogo said he has four classes per week, and he fears that some of those classmates will go to bars and parties at night, then unknowingly infect football players during class. The answer Sonogo received shed light on the pressure that university presidents who rely on college football for prestige and revenue face to reopen their campuses this fall, even as the pandemic continues. It's one of those things where if students don't come back to campus, the chances of having a football season are almost zero. That is a quote from an official who did not identify themselves on the call, but it was somebody in response to Sunogo said, quote, it's one of those things where if if students don't come back to campus, then the chances of having a football season are almost zero. Article continues to, di- to say he suggested that Sonogo remind the people around him to behave responsibly. Quote, the official said, As unfun as it sounds, the best thing that you can do is just try to encourage others to act more responsibly and not put yourself in those kind of situations. I'm very comfortable with what we've done on campus. I'm concerned about what happens from 5 p.m. until 5 a.m. Sonogo replied, How can y'all help us? He asked. The reference to the he referenced the concept of a bubble, the insular playing environments employed by pro basketball and, and ice hockey, and compared it with his bustling college campus. Another member of the task force told him that his mask would offer protection, and he could be a role model for others to wear one. She told him to sit at the back of the classroom and not engage in close conversations. So a lot to swallow in a small excerpt of, of an article, but. Um, a couple of things, and I'll start with this. I don't think it's fair. Whether or not, what, it doesn't matter really what you think about the virus and its effectiveness. The point is, if college football players are positive for the virus, it really, one, it derails their season. And if you're Sonogo, it, the way he asked the question was not, uh, you know, I'm going to die. It's not that... What some people call fear porn. That's not what he's asking. He's saying, what if my classmate unknowingly affects a football player? And then what happens to, to us? I mean, he would if he unknowingly got infected by a classmate while in class, he would have to sit out for two weeks. At a bare minimum. On top of the possibility of him getting sick. And then passing that uh, virus onto somebody else that maybe isn't a highly trained, elite-level athlete. You know, these kids don't just interact with other kids all day. I mean, they have professors and parents and and stuff like that that they interact with throughout the day. And 
it at least at the bare minimum derails a player's season. The response to that concern being, well, you try to police what other people are doing, um, sit in the back of the classroom and encourage others to be responsible, putting the burden of an entire college campus's behavior on football players. I, I don't like the way that sounds. I understand what they're trying to say. I really do. But putting that kind of a that kind of pressure on Sonogo to police people in his class, that's not right. That's just simply not right at all. But I understand the response when it's, if students don't come back to campus, the chances of hang, having a football season are almost zero. I understand why that is a response, but they need to go ahead and strip that idea. So I don't like that they're asking a college football player to police his fellow students. He shouldn't have to do that. Now, he should be able to hold his teammates accountable. That's what a football team is all about. That's what being on a team is. They can police themselves, but if you're asking them, oh, well, encourage your classmates to do the right thing and don't go to parties, good luck. Give me a break. But here's what they need to do. In in college football as a whole, this is what they need to do because the article is exactly right, and we can all agree with this. Universities depend on football for a lot of things, including their existence in its current form. And a lot of people don't like talking about that. And I got to give credit to um, Brian Floyd, who shared the article. And at first he said, why are we doing this? And I I thought, well, you work in sports media. You should know why. And he made a tweet thread. And his final thing was, I want college sports to happen. And I'm worried about the livelihoods of so many people who rely on it, including his own. He said, but we can't just act like it's all fine. The answer is to these players' questions are not good enough and time is running out. And he's with Banner Society, for whatever that's worth to you. And even if you don't like the reaction, some of the reaction to the virus, I think he and Sonogo both have a point. And there's an easy solution that they're not willing to go down. The administrator in the call said, if you don't have students on campus, good luck having a season. And that's been the talking point for months now, right? It's, well, you know, if campuses are closed, you can't have football. And I I understand why that's happening. And I understand why you can't keep football players in some kind of a bubble. But you can, however, insulate your football team from everybody else. It's time to stop treating college athletes like they're just regular students. Because to Brian Floyd's point, and to a point I've made basically every day during coronavirus on the radio show and beyond, is... College football is the driving force to a lot of local universities and economies. And when somebody like Dan Wolkin, of course, of course it's him that says, oh, well, you know, some budgets would have to get cut and people would, you know, get furloughed. But he said, don't buy the, the concept that no football would be devastating. And that, that just could not be further from the truth, how somebody can cover college football and not understand the financial financial implications that would come with not having a season is utterly mind-blowing. That just shows you that he's either completely disingenuous, which a lot of us know that's the case anyway, or so out of touch with the sport he covers, he shouldn't be allowed to cover it anymore. It's really that simple. 
college athletes are not like regular students. Because we'll look at Ole Miss, for example, in Oxford. The Ole Miss football team drives the local economy in Oxford, in North Mississippi, and at the university. Without them, without football, Oxford does not look the same. And the University of Mississippi is not the same. You all know this already. I don't know why I'm going down this road again with you. You all know how important college football is to the University of Mississippi, to Mississippi State, to Auburn, to Alabama, to damn near everybody in the SEC not named Vanderbilt. Columbia, South Carolina is a big capital city, and even it would take a massive hit without South Carolina football. Businesses would close. People would lose their jobs. University would have, not the athletic department, the university would have to slash their budget, which means firing a lot of people. Media would lose their jobs. Local businesses, restaurants, bars, hotels, retail would shut down. People would lose their jobs. People in the athletic department would lose their jobs. People at the university would lose their jobs. Scholarship opportunities would go away for sports that don't make any money. Scholarship opportunities would go away for students, regular students, that depend on that money to go to school. It would be devastating if they don't find a way to do it. It, it's already going to be devastating because you're not going to get 100,000-plus people hanging around Oxford seven times a year this year. It's already going to be devastating. Take it all the way, and it's catastrophic. And for somebody to cover the sport, to not understand that is mind-blowing. It's catastrophic if it doesn't happen. College football players are not regular students, so let's stop treating them like regular students. What is so wrong... I'll tell you what's wrong with it, but what is so wrong with isolating them from the rest of the student body? What is so wrong with the concept of letting the football team this fall do online learning only? Never have them step foot in the classroom. What's wrong with that? They are the money makers. They're the economy drivers. Why is that an idea that just we cannot touch? I'll tell you why. Because the admittance that college athletes are not the same as regular students would change the structure of, co- of college football, and people are, are still holding on to this amateurism idea. While we currently debate name, image, and likeness in Congress, we're trying to convince ourselves that we have to send the football team to class with everybody else. No, we don't. They're not like regular students. We don't have to treat them like regular students. The university depends on them to exist in its current form. Let them be treated differently. They already get treated differently. Well, let it happen across the board. Let them take online classes only. Never make Momo Sonogo step into a classroom because if he gets coronavirus and spreads it to his teammates, it's over. It's done. It's catastrophic. Isolate them as much as you can and start treating them like they're not regular students because you and me and everybody else knows that they're not already. And there are so many people who depend on that football team to play to live. Their livelihoods depend on it. So alter the way you treat them, even if it's just for one year. I mean, we're going to let them benefit off their name, image, and likeness soon anyway. They're not like regular students. There's your solution. And that's not even foolproof in and of itself, but forcing your football team to go to class and be on campus around the regular students who are not getting tested frequently, who don't have oversight the way that they do, and also 
little Johnny K.A. can go to a party on Thursday night, get coronavirus, and it doesn't derail something if he gets it. It doesn't end the multi-million dollar operation that college football is. And a lot of people call that callous because, oh, well, the players should get paid. And I agree with that, so spare me. Little Johnny K.A. can get coronavirus, can go to a party, and it doesn't ruin anything. He can get coronavirus at that party on Thursday night, go to class with Momo Sonogo on Friday, spread it to him, and it ends everything. Don't make Sonogo go to class. Not in person. Johnny Manziel got to take all online classes. Justin Fields got to take all online classes to focus on football. Let everybody do it. They're only really taking 12 hours anyway. I mean, that's all they're doing. So, let them do it. Let them take the bare minimum classes online and treat them differently because we all know that they're different. It's okay to admit that out loud. We all know this already. Treat them as such. And maybe you can save your season by doing it. And speaking of that season, let's look at uh, the SEC's decision to go to 10 conference games only. That broke late uh, this past week. And it's really kind of in line with something that I said a few weeks ago. If you remember when uh, the Pac-12, I think they were first. No, it was the Big Ten that was first that uh, decided to go to a conference-only schedule. I said, and I even tweeted at Greg Sankey, jokingly, uh, he must have listened, kind of, that they should go to a 10-game conference-only schedule starting on September 19th, and you play the SEC championship on January 2nd. You have three or four bye weeks that allows you for built-in quarantine periods and flexibility with your scheduling so you can move games around and do it that way. And that's kind of what the SEC is doing. And to their credit in the the release, even though Ross Dellinger and uh, John Talty were first on the story, the SEC did confirm it, obviously, and, and put out their release. And the reason that they gave was that allows for flexibility. And that's a really important thing. They're only having two bye weeks in the schedule, one that will be in the middle of the season for everybody, not on the same weekend, of course, but in the middle of the season for everybody, and then one at the very end of the season. So you have to, if you have to move one game to the end of the year, you can do that uh, because everybody has that built-in bye week. So there's some flexibility with the schedule, and you remove as many um, factors, variables, that's the better word, uh, you, you remove as many variables as possible by not including an additional conference. And they kind of said that. I mean, that's what they admitted. It was all for schedule flexibility, limiting the variables. They feel like this is the best way that they can ensure that the season goes on. I'm not going to read Sankey's statement. It was really long. Uh, it was a bunch of words that don't really say a whole lot, but you did get the premise. Ten games, two months from now. Uh, so we're not one month away from college, or at least SEC football season. We're closer to two months away from SEC football season. Uh, one bye week in the middle, one at the end, allowing for schedule flexibility, and they are going to release the schedule at some point here in the near future. So here's my reaction to it. Number one, I still can't quite figure out why the marquee non-conference games couldn't have been played. I know they preach schedule flexibility, and I know that does make sense. 
But it also makes sense that South Carolina and Clemson could safely play against each other. I mean, what you're saying is that South Carolina can safely go to Columbia, Missouri and back. Florida can go from Gainesville, Florida to Oxford, Mississippi and back. But South Carolina can't go to Clemson and back. That's not safe. Or Florida can't go to Florida State and back. And that's not safe, or you can't work that out. I I can't, for the life of me, figure out why the marquee games could not have been played. You're working with two other leagues. You can be as flexible with them as you can. And look, maybe down the road, if you have to cancel the game or whatever, then put that in the clause. Say, we're going to do a 10 plus 1, but our 10 are going to take precedent. So if we have to move a South Carolina game to the day that they're scheduled to play Clemson, then we do that. And sorry. That's an easy thing that you can agree on, but to say that, oh, well, it makes a whole lot of sense to send South Carolina to Columbia, Missouri, and back, but God, we can't have them go to Clemson. That's dropping the ball. That is really dropping the ball. I don't understand. I cannot figure out why they could not come to an agreement to play these marquee non-conference games. However... Let's be honest here. Are we really going to miss? Are we going to at all miss the 2020 version of Clemson, South Carolina? Are we going to miss the 2020 version of Georgia, Georgia Tech? No. Even Florida, Florida State. I mean, look at the scores from those three games a year ago. Absolute bloodbaths. The same thing was going to happen this year, too. So I know the state of South Carolina is pissed about this. Furious. So is Florida, I'm sure. But we're not going to miss, as, as a casual football fan, we're not going to miss this at all. I'm not. I mean, the games are going to, I like rivalry weekend. Don't get me wrong. I enjoy it. Uh, but if you're telling me that, that you're going to miss what Clemson and South Carolina would have been, I think you're crazy. It would have been another just absolute bloodbath. And this is going to be really fun. So next thing is this is going to be really fun. As a one-off. It's going to be a weird year, so just accept the, the weirdness, the uniqueness of this season. It's going to be fun. And I know the television partners love this. It's two fewer games, but at least every weekend, you're playing in a game that matters, that you care about against an opponent with a brand that you want to watch your team play against. If you look at Ole Miss's schedule... They're playing two fewer games, but one more game that actually matters. Think about it like this. They had eight SEC games. UConn, Georgia Southern, SEMO, and Baylor. So those are three weekends that nobody cares about. I mean, look, it would have been Lane Kiffin's season opener, so maybe the crowd, or home opener, so the crowd probably would have been good, but nobody really gives a damn about Ole Miss SEMO. Even Ole Miss fans don't care about Ole Miss SEMO or Ole Miss UConn or Ole Miss Georgia Tech. Those are games that a lot of you probably still go to because it's your tradition. But those are the kind of games that you leave at halftime for, you're not worried about showing up late for, you just don't really care. So there's two fewer games on the schedule, but now instead of nine games against teams either in the SEC or that you care about them playing against, you've got ten. You've got one additional game, even though there's two fewer. And the television partners are going to love this. And maybe if they get on their horse and sell this season, the TV dollars can be even more with two less games. 
because the eyeballs, the attention, the, the ratings, the viewership number is going to be so much more every single weekend because it's marquee matchup after marquee matchup with everybody in the SEC every game except for the ones against Vanderbilt and Arkansas. But you won't have a weekend anymore of Alabama, UT Martin, Auburn, Western Carolina, Ole Miss, SEMO, Florida, Chattanooga, South Carolina, Coastal Carolina. Those weekends aren't going to happen anymore. Every game, except for Arkansas and Vanderbilt, every single game is going to matter. People are going to want to watch. People are going to care about. And so maybe that makes the TV dollars at least not go down. Uh, So that check from the SEC might be still really good. But poor Arkansas and Vanderbilt. I mean, (laughs) you want to talk about two 0-10 candidates, there you go. There's two of them. Arkansas and Vanderbilt. It is more likely that both of them go 0-10 than both of them win at least one game this year. There's your hot take of the day. It is more likely that Arkansas and Vanderbilt both go 0-10 than both win one game each or more this year. Next point is, and this is a quick one, I think they should have allowed for more time. I wrote these out as my thoughts were... So these are kind of out of order. I should have reshuffled them, but it doesn't matter. You get the point. Um, They should have allowed for more time, I think. One in-season bye week should be two or three, and then you have at least one week at the end of the season. That's the only thing I really would have changed. If you have to go to conference only, I think they should have spread the season out over a longer period of time to make this happen. Next thing. Not going to the next two games on your rotation doesn't make any sense to me. And the details are kind of unclear on exactly how they're going to decide the schedule. It was falsely reported on Thursday or Friday, I think it was Thursday, uh, that the SEC was going to go to just the next two teams on everybody's rotation. It it started. It was just an idea yesterday or last week that was floated out by Ross Dellinger, where he he said, you know, hey, here's a way that they could do this. He wasn't reporting it as fact. He was just saying that here's a way that they could do this. And then they talked about that on Feinbaum, and then people decided to take that and run with it as if it was reported fact that that's what they were doing. And um, context, I guess, is lost on people because that's not what Ross said at all. He did not say this is what they're doing. He said this is a way that they can do it if this is what they want to do. And it got taken completely out of context. That idea, though, makes the most sense to me. It's the most practical. It's the most fair. It takes any objectivity out of the decision-making. You just add the next two teams in your cross-division rotation so everybody gets an additional home and road game. A lot of people, they texted into the radio show and stuff like that and said, oh, well, Ole Miss has got Tennessee and Kentucky. That's what everybody's reporting. That's what it would have been, but it doesn't feel like that's going to be the case. At least that is not the decision that they made last week. That makes the most sense, though. No objectivity. You just do it based on the schedule you're supposed to play, and you move on. It makes the most sense. Instead, they're going to do this 
uh, Ross Dellinger described it as a, a strength of schedule concept. They're going to try to balance the schedules, but who's making that determination? Is the league office going to sit down and if this is what they decide to do, now we don't know for sure, but that's what's being reported. Maybe they changed their mind because they realize that this isn't right either. But the reporting is that they were going to look at it and try to balance the opponents based on the quality of them, the strength of schedule. And I, I don't like that at all. I think that is overcomplicating a very simple situation. And also, there's going to be claims for bias. So you're creating a situation where the league is determining who is supposed to be good, who is not supposed to be good, and picking the schedule based on what they think about the programs in place that is ripe for accusations of bias, uh, that is ripe for criticism, that is objective, and something like this should not be done objectively, and it's unnecessary. I don't understand why they would even consider going this route. Deciding based on strength of schedule who should play who? Uh, Who are you to decide who's good and who's not? Just It's an unnecessary step that they're taking, and I simply just don't get it. But we will see how they do it. I mean, the schedule's not out yet. Maybe they change their mind. We, uh, we shall see. Next thing is, I have to reiterate this. I, I did a podcast, a full podcast about this a couple of weeks ago, but this needs to be considered year zero for Lane Kiffin, and I would say the same thing about every new coach in the SEC. This is not year one. It has already been a unique offseason with no spring and no summer, and they can't, haven't been able to recruit at all, and no visitors, hasn't been able to work out with this team. Everything's been shut down. On top of that, now a 10-game conference-only schedule only makes it more difficult. The goal of this season at this point is just to have one. Just play for financial purposes to keep your programs alive. And every win outside of Vanderbilt and Arkansas needs to be celebrated. Because, I mean, I thought in year one, and this could be a five to reaching, but five to seven win football team uh, for Ole Miss this year because they had the three aforementioned cakewalk games with SEMO and UConn and Georgia Southern. You had a toss-up with Baylor. You had Vanderbilt and Arkansas on the schedule. I mean, there's six right there before you even get into winnable games like Mississippi State or I don't believe in Texas A&M like some people do. They have Auburn at home, LSU's rebuilding really bad, uh, even though that would be on the road. But still, uh, there was a chance that this, that this team could have been a bowl team in year one. Now that those easy games have been taken away and there's only 10 games and it's an all-SEC schedule, pair that with the offseason that they've had or the lack thereof, your expectations for this football team, in my opinion, need to be very different than what they would have been in a normal year. This is year zero. Every win outside of Vanderbilt and Arkansas needs to be celebrated. Your expectations, in my opinion, need to be dramatically changed based on what has happened since he's been hired. I would say the same thing about Mike Leach and Eli Drinkwitz and Sam Pittman. Every win outside of Vanderbilt and Arkansas should be celebrated. This is year zero for Lane Kiffin. This is year zero, in my opinion, and it should not be looked at in any other way. If you're still expecting five or six wins... Uh, prepare to be disappointed because there's no reason to expect that. Now, if they get to that point, if they go 6-4 and four or something, hold a parade, my goodness. But alter your expectations for this season. A lot of factors have changed the way this is going to look for Ole Miss.
And that's okay. Next thought is something that crossed my mind almost right away. And that's what this does for the group of five in the FCS. It's not Greg Sankey's job or the SEC's job or Ole Miss's job or anybody involved in this decision's job to uh, prop up the group of five or the FCS. Greg Sankey and the SEC have to make decisions for themselves. So I understand that. But the residual effects of this will hurt so many people in college football. Southern Miss is going to take a massive hit. The Troys, the Arkansas States of the world, Furman was supposed to play at Tennessee. I grew up on Furman football. They need that game against Tennessee. They need to come home with that seven hundred, eight hundred thousand dollar check to prop themselves up. And it's a successful small school, but it's a successful FCS program. They make the playoffs a lot. They do really good things, but they have to play these games to keep the lights on, and it just really sucks for people like them to not get these bye games. And maybe they can get rescheduled, and maybe there's the possibility of a buyout, and I hope there is, but you think the SEC's got more money to spend on lawyers than the SOCON does? I think so. It's devastating for a lot of people in college football some of which might not recover. Look at what's going on at Akron right now. They've got all kinds of problems, but it won't be just them. So this really sucks. Next thing, uh, this delayed start of the season, so they're not going to start until the end of September. Um, It possibly can make up for spring practice for Ole Miss. So as you all know already, Ole Miss did not get to have a spring practice or a summer workout, but they are allowed to continue to have their training camp. So even though the season's been delayed, uh, the fall camp, if you will, even though it's summer, uh, they will not have to stop unless there's a a coronavirus outbreak. So they can continue practicing. They can continue practicing and, and do so up until the start of the season. And those extra practices are very much more important for a new coaching staff installing an entirely new system than it is for an existing coaching staff already, which is most of the SEC. So how much of a difference does it make? I don't really know, but I do know that these extra practices will help. It'll help them decide on who the quarterback's going to be. It will help them install their systems, both on offense and on defense. It will help them install their culture that they didn't get the summer to, to put together. So it's a really good thing for Ole Miss that they're going to continue uh, to be allowed to practice for an extended period of time. Maybe they can make up for spring. We shall see. Next thing. Uh, This will not be the new normal. I don't believe it. I saw Stuart Mandel say uh, people are going to fall in love with the the 10-game conference-only schedule and we're never going to go back. And I disagree with that completely. For a couple of reasons. Number one... Uh, these Power 5 programs are drunk in love with these easy buy games. They want to play them. They want easy wins on the schedule so they can go to bowl games and and prop themselves up that way. And the additional weekends are, are just more revenue. So they're not going to shorten the season. 
and they're not going to get rid of easy games. Maybe, maybe the SEC increases their conference schedule. Maybe they do. But if you think Ole Miss is going to stop playing SEMO, if you think Alabama is going to stop playing Western Carolina in the middle of a grind of an SEC schedule, I think you're insane. I know Nick Saban's called for it, but there's a reason why they still schedule them. If Nick Saban said, don't schedule those games for me, they wouldn't schedule those games for him. The schools love them too much. This is not the new normal. It's not going anywhere. Next thought is uh, the Pac-12 released their schedule on Friday, and uh, this is something to keep an eye on. Their rivalry games are scattered all over the schedule. Oregon-Oregon State's week four, for example. Uh, The last weekend of the season is not rivalry weekend. They just kind of blew up the schedule and started over. And there's talk around SEC circles that a similar thing could happen here. That you could see the Egg Bowl played earlier in the season. That you could see the Iron Bowl at another time. Rivalry weekend may look a little different. That's just something to keep an eye on. And then finally, the last thing, it's something that I get asked about a lot, is tailgating and, and stuff like that in stadium capacity. So currently, right now, there's an order, an executive order from the governor that would cap Ole Miss's attendance and Mississippi State and Southern Miss at 25%. And I don't know if what that means for the clubs or the, the boxes. I don't know if that's different, because they're basically different venues. I, I would imagine that you could treat them differently. But either way, 25% capacity is the limit right now. If you're a season ticket holder and you bought tickets, they're going to reward you somehow, even if you don't fall into that 25% window. They're not just going to take your money and say, oh, sorry, you're not getting anything. They will accommodate you in, in some way or another. But as of right now, that is the current plan in place. Now, that could change. It could change tomorrow. It could change in two weeks, and it could change two months from now or four months from now, and they alter it during the season. They're prepared for all of it, but that's the current number. You will not be allowed to enter the stadium without a mask on, and you will not be allowed to exist in the stadium without a mask on. I know how people feel about that, and some people don't like that, but if you want to go to a game this year, college or NFL, you're going to have to wear a mask. That That's just what it comes down to. It, that, that's undeniable. You're going to have to. They'll probably limit concessions and what you can buy. Probably a lot of prepackaged stuff. I don't expect they will allow the vendors that like make food. It'll all be like delivered in prepackaged stuff. That's my guess. Same thing with drinks. And then tailgating is going to look different. If people say, well, are they going to limit capacity in the Grove? The answer, yes, they will. They will. They're not going to let 11,000 people in Vaught-Hemingway and have 60,000 people partying in the Grove. It will be limited some way. It will be social distance and enforced some way, without a doubt. So they've got to find a way to maximize revenue in any way, shape, or form that they can. They've got to get creative, whether it's cardboard cutouts or something like that, special access They'll have to find a way to maximize revenue, especially considering what uh, Ross Bjork left behind at Ole Miss with 
um, the NCAA investigation going the way it did and the financial implications that came from that, and then hiring Matt Luke and the lack of attendance and everything that came with that. Ole Miss is in a financial situation that is a little bit different than a lot of their SEC counterparts. An NCAA investigation that was botched and then a hiring process that was botched led to some financial discomfort, if you will, within the program. And uh, so they have to maximize revenue any way, shape, or form that they can. But maybe television viewership will be higher. You hope so, anyway, with the quality of the games. But we will will see. That's it for me on this Saturday. Again, sorry for the delay. I'm, I'm a mess here. I got the cast off, and now they put me in one of these stupid boots. But um, my foot looks like a grapefruit right now. Or not a grapefruit, a uh, eggplant. Yeah, eggplant. That's what it looks like. So anyway, uh, thank you for tuning in to making the podcast a part of your day. Don't forget to go by LBs and see Greg. Follow me on Twitter at Michael Borky. Tell Greg we sent you, by the way. At LB's, get your uh, meat for the grill for what should be a great, great Sunday of sports because it's already almost 4 o'clock on Saturday. So thank you for tuning in. Thank you for listening. Uh, Ready for a schedule breakdown. I promised Phil Steele we'll get to that at some point next week. The schedule should be coming out soon, so be on the lookout for that. Again, thank you for making the podcast a part of your day. And I will talk to you again on Monday. A Super Talk Mississippi media production.